0: any better from that standpoint. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, The very first time that I did this series was at my dad's church in St. George, and that is a very small church. A number of you have had a chance to go up there before. And uh, after the morning session, Paula and I were driving back over there to the evening, and I shared with her about that particular morning, not this morning, but that particular morning that I really felt like that I had rushed and that I was hurried and I didn't get to everything that I needed to get to. And as the encourager that she is, she's like, well, that's not an issue for tonight. You just go ahead and take as much time as you need to, to to be able to get through everything that the Lord's laid on your heart. And so when I got up to speak, I looked at her and she was wearing a green blouse, which for me was like the traffic signal, green, let's go. And so I actually shared with the congregation that we'd had that conversation, and look, she's wearing a green blouse, and that is a sign that I just need to go, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to go. And I got up Monday night to speak, and she was wearing a red blouse. I kid kid you not. That is is the truth. It was a stop, right? So Uh, a few folks did comment on the fact that we did go long this morning, and I need to explain that. My sister was in the nursery. And I figured the best gift that I could give her would be to go just as long as I could go and she could fully enjoy working for the Lord back there in the nursery. And I got back tonight and Brother Eddie told me he was going to be in the nursery. So I was planning to go long, I mean long. But I see he's made it to the front row here so uh, apparently that won't be what we need to do. Uh, Our songs this evening emphasize the holiness of God. If I had a title for tonight, It would be that God and God alone is holy. Uh, This morning, I did my best to try to share my thoughts around God and God alone is eternal. And so there's kind of a theme that's going to play out in our conversations here as we begin to learn a little bit more about God and his character and who he is. We're going to see there are a bunch of things that are absolutely unique in God and God alone. Um, This morning, we read just three verses Tonight we're going to read almost an entire chapter, so we're going to be in Genesis the third chapter, and I shared with you that I may be reading from a translation that may be just a tad bit different than yours, and I hope that you will continue to give me grace over that, but I'm going to start reading in Genesis chapter 3 with the first verse, and we're going to go for a while. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children." Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return." Dear Lord, I do thank you for the night that you have given us. And Father, my heart's desire is to make much of you. Father, you and you alone are holy. And I ask that you make that very clear tonight. Amen. So this morning I really tried to be transparent and I do this really in this entire series, which is a tad bit scary because I'm trying to explain the way that I think which is personal, and acknowledging that not everyone is going to think this way or accept this kind of feels like you're exposing yourself a good bit. But, but what I tried to do this morning, and I tried to be just as honest as I could in regards to presenting really two paths that I think are the only two paths for someone to try to accept as they begin to explain the beginning. And I honestly believe that everybody walking on the planet who can think should spend a good bit of time trying to come to a conclusion about the beginning because it radically impacts the way that we view life. It should radically impact the way that we view life. I I don't plan to go through all of that again, but I will remind you that over on this side, I suggested that there was a creator. And if there is a creator, it means that there is purpose to our lives. It means that there's absolute truth, right? I also told you this morning that I was not trying to hint or suggest at all who that creator may be. Well, now it's time for us to start changing that just a little bit. Because if you want to buy into my conversation that there is a creator, and really that being was able to speak and create everything that you and I see does it make sense to you that potentially they would reveal themselves? That potentially if there is purpose to life, if this creator being actually spoke and made it all happen, that there is kind of purpose and that they very well could reveal themselves. Matter of fact, it only makes sense that they would. I mean, why do it if there was not going to be some type of revelation about who I am? So really what we're going to be doing over the next several conversations is trying to dig a little bit further into this, and I think we're going to ask some more questions that I think people need to chew on and come up to a conclusion. Now this morning I alluded to the second thing. Not only should a person have some thoughts about the beginning, but I believe they need to have a story about evil. I really believe they have to try to wrestle that down. Because on this path, if you actually believe that all nature has just led to what we're doing, my question was, well, why are we any different than the animals? And if you really tell me that animals are not evil, then how can you even begin to suggest that man is? And yet in your heart of hearts, you know absolutely that man is evil. You know good and well that the actions and the things that we do just aren't right. You see things that happen all around you, including things that you have done yourself, And something is just screaming out to you, "Mm, that is not right. The the passage that we have read tonight, Genesis chapter 3, is commonly referred to as the fall. I mean, it's pretty close to the beginning. You know, Genesis is a book of beginnings. We're only in the third chapter. If you go back and read chapters 1 and 2, we have an awful lot of conversation about the creation itself. But now we're kind of getting into real life, it looks like. And what I read for you, there actually are four, and if you'll let me refer to them as characters, there's actually four beings, four people, four characters, if I can use those things kind of interchangeably, that we read about. There is the serpent, and we recognize him as being Satan. There's a woman who we recognize as being Eve. There's a man who we recognize as being Adam. And then there's the creator that we are about to figure out is going to be Jehovah God before we're done. And actually what I would like to do tonight is to use this passage and to share some observations about those four characters. And I think as I do that, we're going to learn some things about ourselves, but most importantly I hope is that we learn an awful lot about the main character who is the creator, okay? Okay. So I'm going to walk back through the passage, we're going to read parts of it again, and I'm going to break my comments down about these four individuals, and we're going to start the comments about the serpent. As I read through this passage, I've jotted down a few things that I believe kind of jump out about the serpent, things that we can learn about him. And the first one for me comes in the very first verse, and it is that the serpent, or Satan, seeks confrontation. He seeks confrontation. Now, at this point in time, I don't have any idea how long Adam and Eve have lived in the garden. My guess is it's a long time. I mean, if you actually think about the paradise that they were living in, if you think about the perfection that they were experiencing, if you go back and read the very last verse in chapter 2, you would see that they have an awful lot of incentive to be very happy where they are. There's no reason for them to want to do anything else. I I mean, I think they probably were there for a long time. I mean, it took a long time to name them animals that had to have and to discover all the wonders of what God had created for them. And I often wonder whether or not this is the first conversation that Eve ever had with Satan. But whether it's the first one or not, he's the one who set the whole thing up. I think she's doing her normal routine, and there he is wanting to talk to her. See, Satan seeks confrontation. And that's confirmed other places in Scripture. If you can remember the first chapter of Job, and I do love the book of Job because it's just startling, is it not? But if you can remember the book of Job, that chapter starts off where it says that God had called all the angels to come to account. Just an indication for me about God being holy and God being in control and everything's got to come to account sooner or later. And I don't have any idea, Brother Johnny, how often he calls them angels up to find out what they've been doing or to make them testify to what they've been doing. But in the first chapter of Job, it says he calls them all up. And you know who had to show up? Satan had to show up. Now, do you think he was tickled about that? I can't imagine he's tickled about that. And in verse 7 of Job chapter 1, God says, Satan, what have you been up to? He said, I've been, run, I've been roaming to and fro. I've just been wandering around. I've been wandering around. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we learn some more about this Satan. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we found out that he is like a roaring lion, and he is roaming around, and he's seeking whom he may devour. See, Satan seeks confrontation. The second thing that I would point out about Satan is that he lies and he misrepresents God. Look at verses 1 and 4. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, do you see that for the deception that it is? Did God say anything to Adam and Eve about you can't eat from any of these trees? I've put you right here in this beautiful place, but don't you eat from any of these trees? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And in verse 4, you will not surely die. See, as we begin to learn something about Satan, we see that he seeks confrontation and we see that he lies. He misrepresents God. Matter of fact, I think he's the father of lies. Isn't that one of the descriptors for him? He lies. Have you experienced that in your own life? Hmm? Have you experienced any of the lies that the world has to offer you about where you may find your pleasure or where you may find your satisfaction or the meaning of life, period? Hmm? Satan lies. Lies a lot on that path over there. (laughs) The third thing I would point out about Satan is that he makes promises that he can't deliver. He makes promises that he can't deliver. Verse 4, you will not certainly die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. See, you ought to be figuring out here in what I'm trying to point out that we do have an enemy, and his name is Satan. We have an enemy whose name is Satan, and he seeks confrontation, and he lies. He makes promises that he can't deliver on, and he truly is our enemy. Look at verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, I got a question for you. What does Satan have against us? We're made in the image of God. I like that answer. That's a pretty good one. Matter of fact, we are the crown jewel of God's creation. You know, part of the excitement about the story that we are learning about is that there is a creator, and he created you and I for a purpose, and we are the crowning jewel of that creation. And Satan can't stand that. He hates that. He hates that. We are the crown, we are literally, this is probably a bad analogy, but we are the apple of God's eye. Right. I I, I mean, we are, we are the crowning jewel. This whole creation for us, and Satan's not happy about that at all. He seeks confrontation. He lies and misrepresents God. He makes promises he can't deliver on. He's our enemy. And the last comment that I would make about him is that he is cursed and he is judged by God. He is cursed and he is judged by God. Look at verse 14. Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. In John chapter 16, verse 11, Jesus said, The prince of this world now stands condemned. Not sometime into the future. That was 2,000 years ago. And Jesus said, The prince of this world now stands condemned, speaking of Satan. But just to be abundantly clear about Satan being cursed and judged, turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. last book in the Bible, almost the last chapter, Revelation chapter 20, and I'm going to read verse 10, Revelation 20, 10, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Let's make no mistake about this. Satan is cursed. Satan is judged. If you actually want to put it in an appropriate context, he is the greatest loser of all time. He led a rebellion against God that is not going to be successful. Regardless of how people want to spin it, regardless of how they want to fantasize about being in hell and it being a great big party, regardless of how they may want to paint what he looks like, if you read the conclusion... If you go ahead from the story, from the beginning to the end, and see what's going to happen to Satan, he is cursed and he is judged by God for all of eternity. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 3 and let's move on to our comments about Eve. <clears throat> the first thing that I would say about Eve is that she is approachable. She's approachable. Mike, what on earth is she do in having a conversation with the snake? Now, I don't know what nature was like then. I honestly don't. I, I, I would love to, I do spend a lot of time thinking about it. I mean, one of them songs up there a while ago said that we will join with all creation and we'll sing praises to God. And I don't know what all that means. Um, I know some of you folks are woodsmen. and More than likely, you have been in the woods in the dark, and morning starts to come, and the woods come alive, don't they? I mean, the birds and the insects and all that kind of stuff just kind of comes alive. And whenever you're hearing that, whenever you're thinking that buck's going to step out there, do you first of all think, I wonder if they're praising God for the new day? I wonder if all this stuff is waking up because they're needing to tell God, thank you for the new day. They're needing to tell the Creator, we acknowledge you for who you are. I don't have any earthly idea whether or not that's true or not. But at this particular point in time, the serpent snake could speak. (laughs) And Eve has a conversation with him. But why? Why? Why is she approachable? But then again, aren't you and I? I mean, don't we learn in the book of James that based off of our own evil desires, we put ourselves in place of temptation? That God doesn't put us in places of temptation, and there's no concept that says the devil made me do it, that it really is about us and our desire to see ourselves in a different light that basically positions us for sin. Eve is approachable. The second thing that I would share about Eve is that she is unclear as to God's command. Look at verse 3. She's unclear as to God's command. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, is that what God said? No, it's not. If you actually go back to chapter 2 and you look at verses 16 and 17, It says, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. You must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. In God's command, he didn't say anything about don't touch it. Don't touch it. Eve says they can't eat it, they can't even touch it. In God's command, don't say anything about touching it. Now, in Eve's defense, if you would look down a little bit further... She's not there whenever that command is given. She hadn't been created yet. Now, I don't know whether or not she heard God repeat the command. I don't know whether or not Adam told her about it, and he added something to it. But I think there's a lesson there for me and you. I think it's pretty important to be clear about God's commands. I think it's pretty clear for you and I to understand them ourselves. And not necessarily rely on what somebody else had to say about it. Now let's be real honest. I wouldn't be a member of this church if I didn't have an awful lot of confidence in our pastors and the way they rightly divide the word. But that does not resolve me of my responsibility to make sure that the things that are being taught are consistent with God's word. Matter of fact, I expect them to challenge me to want to do more of that myself. I really do so that I can be armed and I can be instant in season and out of season so that I can be studied up to show myself approved. I think that's part of what I'm supposed to be. And apparently Eve is approachable and she's unclear as to God's command. The third thing that I would say about Eve is that she seeks physical gratification and her own control. Look at verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She sees the physical gratification and she sees the enhancement of her own control. And I don't know about you, but that's exactly how sin screams out at me. It emphasizes physical gratification and that I deserve it, I'm entitled to it, and I ought to have it. And that's exactly what Eve is seeing in this situation of her own temptation. The fourth thing that I would say about Eve is that she wants company. Look at the last part of verse 6. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now, Brother Johnny, I confessed this morning that early on in my teaching, I was hateful sometimes. And this passage really fits nicely with some of me wanting to aggravate folks. And there have been plenty of times that I've taught young married couples, <laughs> and you really can get some of them stirred up pretty good. Whenever you, at this point in time you basically go like, and you know what he did? She took that forbidden fruit and she put it in a fruit salad and she fed it to Adam. Poor boy had no chance. She was wanting company and she gave it to him. And you can pick, somebody will bite on that. There will be a lady in the room who will take offense to that, and she will jump up, and then I have to back off and. And then I'm going to hit her with another one a little bit later. But look at Eve, bless her heart. She's approachable. She's unclear of God's command. She's seeking her own physical gratification and her own control. She wants company. But you need to find out this about Eve too. Similar to the serpent, she's judged. She's judged. And notice the, the terms of the judgment in verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, it appears that Eve committed a sin, and there appears to be trouble damages. Do you see that? So there's not a one-for-one judgment here. There's a she rebelled against God. There's going to be pain in her childbearing. She's going to have a desire for her husband, and he is going to rule over her. There's trouble damages associated with her rebellion. So Paula and I have two children. Um, I learned an awful lot with Reagan's delivery. Paula's water broke uh, right about daylight, and we went on to the hospital, And in all honesty, I learned a lot, Brother Johnny. I I learned that you should wear comfortable shoes because if you're going to stand up next to that bed all day, your back's going to start to hurt. As you stand there and watch your wife, who didn't want any drugs whatsoever at all, and is experiencing back labor and has to kind of be on all fours and not a real pleasant position, I was, all joking aside, Paula worked hard. I mean, that girl worked hard. I've never seen anything as impressive as the work that she went through to give us poor little Reagan. And Reagan looked natural-born beat up, let me tell you. Whew. The birth canal wore her out. Mm. Am I telling the truth, Ellis? Whew. I, I what? Gorgeous. Gorgeous now. Mm good recovery. Thank you. Um, I've seen that part of the judgment firsthand. So Paula did go all natural. <laughs> Not where it. Hey, hey. Woo. Woo. We're coming on down there. Have them drugs ready by the time I get there. Woo, Johnny, they, they stuck that thing in Paula and I went down to get breakfast. I almost didn't make it back. I mean, boom whole radical different situation. And Rhett, he was half grown whenever he was born. How Paula could throw off them kids? I don't have any earthly idea. <laughs> I've seen some of that judgment firsthand. In pain, you will deliver children. Notice the second thing. Your desire will be for your husband. Now, I find this one to be really confusing. I don't know what it all means, but I honestly believe it's there. Because of the fall, there is something broken between the man and the woman. And guys, we ain't ever going to figure it out. Her desire is for us, and we can't figure out any earthly idea what she's talking about. (laughs) I I mean, there is going to be conflict that was not there. Again, go back to the last verse in chapter 2, before the fall, and look and see where they were, and then you can begin to understand how bad sin is. There is a break that is taking place in our relationship And it's because of the fall. Her desire will be for us, and we're just not going to be able to figure out what that thing is. And then the third thing really makes ladies mad, and he's going to rule over you. I'm sorry. I didn't design it that way. But that's what it says, and it's part of the fall. You know as well as I do that Eve was his helpmate. The the intention was it was the two of them becoming one flesh, and things were going to go just like God wanted it. But because we thought we were smarter than God and we want to choose our way, look what happened. Eve is approachable. She's unclear as to God's command. She seeks physical gratification. She wants company and she's judged. Let's move on to Adam. The first comment that I would make about Adam is that he's missing in action. He is missing in action. What is Adam doing while his wife's talking to the snake? He's standing there in the background. Does that sound right? Does that sound like he's fulfilling his responsibilities? Does that sound like he's being the head of the household? He is missing in action. And guys, let's be honest. That's continued, and it's continued in the church. Right? I mean, part of the issue that we have today is that men aren't willing to stand up and be accountable for what they're supposed to be doing. And in the void, women are stepping up and giving it the best shot they can. He's missing in action. The second thing that I would point out about Adam is that he is unable to provide his own justification. And I think this is a great big huge deal. Look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And my second observation here is that Adam was unable to provide his own justification. And let me see if I can kind of point this out a little bit. Uh, Be careful now. How effective was the fig leaf? In case y'all can't tell what I'm doing. Uh, how effective was the fig leaf? Any of y'all wearing fig leaves? I mean, the dude's in the vine, right? I mean, he's figured out he's messed up, and he's going to attempt to do something to try to make it right himself. And so he does the best that he can, Brother Eddie. He comes up with some kind of fig leaf. But how effective is it? I want you to look at the spiritual designation of trying to do your own justification. Justification is a word that means that you were right with God, that you were just in God's sight. Look at the inadequacy of trying to provide your own works as it relates to justification. I mean, from the beginning, there is a screaming example that you cannot work for your salvation. Adam is trying to do something to provide his own justification. He's trying to make things right, and just as inadequate as that fig leaf is, is your attempts to be righteous. There is none righteous, no, not one. You are not going to do enough in your lifetime to ever impress a holy God. You are not. Adam's missing an action. He's unable to provide his own justification. And then this is absolutely sad. He is ashamed and he is separated. He's ashamed and he's separated. Look at verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. That is unbelievably sad. He is ashamed, and he is separated. I'm guessing before the fall that God coming to walk in the cool of the day was absolutely the highlight. Don't you think? I mean that perfect place that God has created for those two individuals to have a perfect relationship with him, and he would show up daily to walk them through the garden. Can you imagine what those conversations were like? Would you have had any questions for God about how he did it, and why did he do it this way, and what's that, and what's this mean? I mean, can you just imagine what that would have been? And instead of it being the highlight of their day, now because of sin, he is ashamed, and he is separated. Rather than it being the highlight because of what he has done with his own sin, now he wants to hide from God. He wants to run from God. He's embarrassed about what's taking place. And I have a question for you. Isn't that exactly what your sin does? On either side of your salvation, isn't that exactly what your sin does? It causes you to want to run away from God and to hide. That's where Adam is. He's ashamed. He's separated. The next thing that you need to see is that he is absolutely accountable. He's hiding, but you see God shows up in verse 9. And do you know what God does when he shows up? Adam, Adam, where are you? Now, did God know where Adam was? Did holy creator, omnipotent, omniscient, sovereign God know where Adam was? Uh Uh-huh. But who did he come calling for? Not Eve. Not Eve. This is extremely humbling. I mean, in my growth, in my maturity, in my life, as I began to understand that God is going to hold me accountable for that household, that God's going to hold me accountable not only for Paula and what I've done with her as the priest of my family, but what have I done for those two redheads? That God's expectation for me is for me to fulfill the role that he has created me for, and there's not going to be any hiding from it. Hmm. Adam's missing in action. He's unable to provide his own justification. Because of his sin, he's ashamed and he's separated, but yet he's still accountable. And just like the serpent and just like Eve, he is judged. Look at verses 17 through 19. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife. Now, Johnny, that's the other one that's gotten me in trouble teaching classes a bunch of times. Because I'll read it and stop right there. Because you listened to your wife. <laughs> then i wait for somebody to figure out I threw a rock at him. <laughs> that's in the flesh. That's bad. That's not what we're here to do. Because you listened to your wife and you ate the fruit from the tree which I commanded you not to. Cursed. Is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And notice again that we have treble damages. You're going to work. It's going to be toil. There's going to be pain, and you're going to die. Now, we've spent a good bit of time running through that, but the fact of the matter is we need to talk about the star of the show because this really is a story about the Creator. It really is. So let's make some observations about the Creator. The first thing that I would say about God that we learn from this story in verses 1 through 6 is that He established free choice and He allows confrontation. He established free choice and He allows confrontation that there are plenty of things about God that I can't even begin to wrap my mind around. And I guess what I'm touching on right now is the reality that God established free will. He created us, and he decided he was going to let us choose whether or not we wanted to love him back. And that's another one of them things that you've got to chew on for a long time, to try to figure out, well, why, God? Why bother? If you actually are all of that, and you were able to see into the future, why would you give us choice in the first place when you knew we were going to mess up? And you do have to challenge that. You've got to walk your way through it. You've got to think about all those kind of things. And I've spent a lot of time doing that. And I think he did it because he loves us. Creation is wrapped in God's love for me and you. And that he loved us enough not only to create us, but to give us a choice on whether or not we wanted to love him back. I think that's a real deep love. That is a real deep love second thing that I would point out about God is that he knows all, and we've already talked about that. In verse 8, whenever he came walking and he came calling, did anybody have to tell him that Adam had sinned? And yet, don't we try to act like God can't see what we're doing? (laughs) Don't we? In every aspect of our lives, the deception that we try to put forth, whether or not we're being good stewards, you name it, don't we try... I could chase a rabbit about our tithes. I really could. I am a money person, right? I'm a CPA. I said that this morning. I am a preacher's son, so I've been around church finances my entire life. And I've told Paula before, do folks really believe that God can't multiply 10% times their income? <laughs> do they really believe that holy God can't handle the math? What are you doing? You tipping him? I'll get off that. <clears throat> God knows all. The third thing that I would point out about God, and now I'm getting into some of the really good stuff, he seeks and he calls the sinful man. He seeks and he calls the sinful man. Adam and Eve weren't looking for him. They heard him coming and they went running. They wanted to go the other way. They knew they had messed up. But God sought them and he called to them. Hey. Those of you that are redeemed, God seek you out. God call you. Can you remember that day whenever the Holy Spirit jumped all over you? Can you remember when you had run far enough and God said, that's enough? Can you remember that? God loves us enough to seek us and to call out. The other thing that he does is he allows confession. He allows confession. You see the dialogue between him and Adam? Adam? Who told you you were naked? Now, why would God ask Adam, Who told you you were naked? He's given him an opportunity to repent of his sin. He's given him the opportunity to confess his sin. He's allowing Adam to acknowledge, I've messed up, and I need your grace in a major way. God not only seeks us, He not only calls out to us, He actually allows us the ability to confess our wrongdoings. The fifth thing that I would say about God is that He judges sin righteously. Did you notice in this story, which is very applicable to me and you, that the serpent was judged, that Eve was judged, that Adam was judged? What does that tell you about one of God's characteristics? He is the judge. (laughs) He is the judge. And the more we learn about who he is, the more confident we are he gets it right every time. Every single time. He judges sin righteously. The final thing that I'll point out about God even though Adam couldn't provide his own justification, God can. Look at verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. As inadequate as the fig leaf was, God provided something that would work. God provided a justification that would work. You and I see the symbolism of the animal that lost its life, the blood that was shed so that they could be clothed. And you and I begin to see the redemptive plan that's going to be poured out through the rest of his story. Is it not? God provides justification. See, where we're going in our story tonight, we are trying to remind ourselves that not only is God and God alone eternal, but God and God alone is holy, and this story really is his, and yet we are the crown of that creation, and we are the crown that he loves. My favorite verse in Scripture is Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated his own love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What we are talking about is a great big love story on Valentine's Day. A great big love story about the creator who was purposeful in what he did, and he loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you for all eternity, and he has provided the means for you to be able to do that. You can't do it yourself, and yet, Even though you sinned against his holiness, he's willing to forgive that. And we're going to talk more about that as the week goes along. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask our musicians to come back up. I'm going to turn the service back over to Brother Johnny and let him close things up the way that he wants to. We're taking a little journey here to where I'm trying to challenge you to think about really what you think about the beginning. Have you started trying to put that together? And you thought about the implications that it has on your life and the meaning that it has. What's your thoughts about the beginning? The second thing really was, well, what are you going to do with evil? How are you going to explain the things that take place in our lives? And really what I mean by that, and some people would turn a deaf ear, is what, how are you going to explain sin? How are you going to explain sin? The only way you understand that is because you see the holiness of who God is. Sin being rebellion against his holiness. Now that we're beginning to become aware of the fact that we have a sin problem, what are we going to do about it? Now that we're beginning to understand there's an implication to the fact that life even exists, and yep, I'm beginning to understand that we've got a sin problem, the next natural question is, what about that? What are you going to do about that? Now that we're in this pickle, what are we going to do about that? We're going to talk more about that tomorrow night. But for this very moment, I would ask you as we close up to not ignore the stirring that God may have on your heart right now. I believe that the Creator God, His very presence is with us tonight. And I believe in a way that only He can, He is stirring you. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time. Maybe it's a stirring for you to confess and acknowledge that you're sinful and you need Him. Maybe it's a stirring to drive you from where you are, which could be a point of casual, to a point of being red hot for God. But whatever God chooses to do in your life and His prompting, I pray that you will respond. Let's pray.